0: This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week, I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry, All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Renee Smith, Head of External Communications for RACQ. Before moving into her current role, Renee had an extensive career in radio as a journalist and newsreader in Brisbane, Sydney, and the Gold Coast. She chats about what it took to get her big break in the media, the challenges associated with working in breakfast radio and developing her leadership skills. Renee is someone who I've known for over a decade. She's very smart, fun and engaging. So I really hope you enjoy our chat. Renee Smith, welcome to the Media Mates podcast.
1: Hi Ralph, thanks for having me.
0: No, no problem at all. Now you're currently working for RECQ, is that right?
1: Yeah, up in Brisbane. So I'm Head of External Communications at RACQ. I have media advisors, uh, digital video producers um, and social media as part of my team. So it's heaps of fun and still uh, heavily involved in news, which is great.
0: And how do you find that as opposed to what you've been trained for or what your career has been for quite some time, which is radio and media?
1: What I love about where I am now is that we are so heavily involved in the the news up in Brisbane and across Queensland. And I don't know that I would love being on the other side of things, on the dark side as we used to call it, um, if I didn't still have that news hit. Um, it was pretty weird, I have to admit, when I first switched over and being interviewed by journalists as a spokesperson rather than being the journalist interviewing people. That was pretty weird at first.
0: Let's talk about your radio career and how it all started for you. I mean, was that something that you were always fascinated in? Was it a career in media that you were always going to go after or were there other things that interested you uh, in your younger years?
1: I always loved journalism. My dad was in newspapers. While he didn't come through as a journalist, he ended up um, running a lot of regional newspapers. And I just loved going into the paper, um, the smell of the printing press I loved it. Um, I studied journalism at UQ. I actually really wanted to get into print or TV. <laughs> but as life had it, I fell into radio, the one um, the one form of journalism I wasn't keen on getting into. But um, I absolutely fell in love with it, my first job was at uh, 4KQ, Uh, the news director at the time. John Knox was incredibly kind to me with his time. Um, While I did spend several years at university, I came out as a good journalist or an okay journalist, um, but I didn't know how to newsread. And you're not going to get a job in broadcast without news reading skills. So that was a big challenge for me once I left uni.
0: So talk to me about your uni classes. I mean, obviously, people talk about there's no substitute for the fact that you can learn on the job. But there must have been some skills that you picked up there. And was there anybody else that um, came through your year at, um, at university?
1: Look, I actually think a lot of the, um, the students in my year at UQ went into PR. Um, it is very hard to get a job as a journalist, and that's one thing um, I didn't know when I got into journalism. I think there are only a handful that I'm aware of out of our graduating year that went into journalism. Um, it is pretty sad how hard it is to get a job as a journo, so I do consider myself very lucky. Uh, my uni was um, fairly print-heavy at the time in its teachings. Uh, that was great for my writing, and I was doing a lot of internships at newspapers at the same time. In my own time as well, Um, a great thing that UQ provided was an internship uh, as part of a subject and I did a subject of um, an internship at Channel 9 in Brisbane. And that was hugely exciting for me as a uni student to see how the world of TV operated. So that would be the, one of the best things because it did incorporate that practical learning into your university study.
0: You mentioned there that radio wasn't necessarily on your radar because you had interest in, in other fields, but you ended up there, that um, experience at 4KQ. What did that actually teach you?
1: Yeah, I think I, I think I really hated radio because at uni we were still using reel to reel, which once I got into the real world I didn't have to use, uh, which was great. Um, for KQ, oh, it, I learned so much. I realized how much I didn't know after finishing university. Um, as I mentioned, John Knox, he was incredibly kind and patient with his time. I was so lucky that a lot of the jocks at KQ had been around for a really long time. They knew their stuff and they were so willing to share their knowledge with me and um as... Um, 20, 21-year-old. I I didn't even know my pronunciations of um, Gold Coast and Brisbane suburbs the way that I should. All of those things, little things that actually are big things and can really jeopardize your credibility on air if you don't get it right.
0: Doing that kind of thing in a, in a capital city, you must have been really pinching yourself.
1: Yeah, I've, I, I'm so lucky that I never had to go regional. I think those people who do, it's a great experience. I was fortunate enough to get my first job in Brisbane as a casual and then after that my first full-time job was on the Gold Coast, which um, I wouldn't particularly say is going regional because it's still uh, it's still quite big. Uh, so I was very fortunate and being able to start off in a capital city just meant I got to soak up all of the knowledge and and years of experience with these fantastic um, journalists and announcers that I had the opportunity to work
0: with. How important is that for young people to learn off those more experienced people? Because these days, the more experienced people don't seem to be as round as much as perhaps they would have been 10 or 15 years ago when you established your career.
1: Yeah, it is so important for when you're starting out. And I think it it really is tough out there for young journalists because, um, for example, when I started at 4KQ – there was a brisbane news director based in brisbane i have nothing against the decision that there is no longer because as i'm sure we'll talk about i um i down the track ended up running that newsroom out of sydney but when you're starting out to have that one-on-one time uh with somebody that's willing to let you come in watch what they're doing sit down run through your bulletin with you uh, it it's it's It meant so much to me and really helped me in my career. So I think young journals these days have to work even harder and and really put in their own time, not expect it all to come to them and really seek out those people that can be mentors um, for them.
0: You mentioned there a move to the Gold Coast. What was that like for you to... Do that, and uh, you would have been, I guess, thrust into the, the the breakfast role there pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, so I went straight from being a casual journalist in Brisbane to my first full time job on the Gold Coast, reading Breakfast for CFM, which was fantastic and exciting. It all happened very quickly. I think, as we do in radio, no formal job interviews. I think I was on my way back to Brisbane from a camping trip in Byron Bay when I popped by the radio station to see the news director and then happened to get the job and pretty sure I was told to start on Monday. Um, so that's the way it, it happens in radio, as we um, as we all know, but um, it was so exciting. Um, I never really got used to the early starts. That was my first taste of uh, full-time uh, breakfast radio and um, I stuck with it for many years to come, but... It's brutal. (laughs) The hours are a killer.
0: Oh, they absolutely are. It's not like you're in some cases getting up early. You're pretty much getting up in the middle of the night. So adjusting to that and must have been a real pardon the pun wake up call for you.
1: Oh, it was. I remember trying to be organized and laying out all my clothes for the next morning before I'd go to bed at night time and you know, for the first time in my life I became quite a, a light sleeper and Stopped stopped sleeping um, very well. It's hard. You're always waiting for that alarm to go off and, yeah, it's really tricky. But, look, it is the best shift as well. Breakfast radio is so much fun. It's when it's all happening. You're doing half-hourly bulletins, time flies, and um, every brekkie radio shift I did I loved and just had a ball.
0: Now, who are the people that helped you along there at the Gold Coast? Because I understand you were working with some fairly experienced guys up there.
1: Yeah, there were lots of people I learned um, from and it really was um, that next step in my career where I'm, I guess I'd gotten the basics down when I was working at, at 4KQ and um, and now it was stepping it up and I was working with um, Paul and Moira, Paul Gale on the, the breakfast show at CFM at the time and that was my first real taste of on-air interaction. So that was a big learning uh, for me to be able to cross over between being the newsreader and having that credibility to also being able to be yourself and have a joke outside of the news. Um, Tony Bartlett was my news director at the time. Uh, Bart taught me how to write for FM News. He taught me how to get the message across Clearly and concisely, and um, therefore providing um, an informative bulletin for the FM uh, listeners. You don't, you can't have these long scripts. Otherwise, you're going to very quickly uh, <laughs> run out of time in your bulletin, and also it just doesn't fit. It doesn't sound right the way that you write. If you get it right, it comes across when you're reading it in FM. And um, he taught me a lot on that front.
0: Touching there on the the interaction with with the shows as a news reader. That's a skill that. I guess you have to learn fairly quickly or you you sound quite stiff and and you need to be able to allow that personality to come through because you don't know what they're going to throw at you. So it becomes a case of thinking on your feet quite often.
1: Yeah, it does. And look, I think it really helps and I was lucky. Um, I've always worked with really lovely, funny people that I've always felt very at ease with um, I think it would be very different if um, if the announcer on the other end you didn't feel comfortable with uh, I always did which really helped me particularly in those early days I was um, I was friends with these guys as well uh, it was quite a fun time of life it was like the people that went through at that um, at that stage through CFM it's almost like we Went to uni again together, or, or something that sort of um, that friendship that we formed during that time.
0: You also had the opportunity to work with the the late great Greg Hendricks as well, which would have been a, a real thrill to work with a, a radio legend.
1: I did. Hendo was just an incredible man. I'm um, so grateful that I got the opportunity to work with him. Um, we probably actually became uh, closer after I left because um he used to joke <laughs> that as soon as he got there i wanted to take off it had nothing to do with that i was just at that stage in my career where i wanted to move to sydney um he was always very supportive of that and if um if it hadn't happened he was more than willing to pick up the phone and call uh, any of the the news directors that he was already friends with in Sydney and help make it happen for me. Um, But I kept in contact with him even when I moved to Sydney and would visit him when I'd be back on the coast and he was just a wonderful man and I think anyone who had the opportunity to work with him would agree.
0: How did the move come about for you to come down to to Sydney and why did you decide to to make that move?
1: Look, it hadn't been... um, I guess a burning desire of mine. I, it's something I always wanted, but I felt like it was so far away and wow, they must be so great down in Sydney. Would I ever be able to make it down there? And when I was just happy, um, on the Gold Coast and one of my friends who worked down in Sydney had said to me, come on, you've got to come down. What are you still doing on the Gold Coast? And, and actually wanted me to go. Um, into TV, and I was like, oh, no, I don't think of it. I just didn't feel comfortable, even though TV was something I would have loved to, to try at some point. And anyway, um, in the end, he said, all right, well, just send me a, an air check and let's see what happens. And um, and all of a sudden, that got circulated around at stereo and I had a call from Gil Taylor a few days later, offered me the job on the phone. He and I had never met in person. I accepted the job, and off I went to Sydney. <laughs>
0: It wouldn't happen much these days. you seem to be able to jag these jobs just on appearance alone, don't you I mean, well, yeah. not even
1: on a, not even on appearance. I'm not even meeting these people no i was very I was very, very lucky, but it is a, a small world, the media world, and I think um, if you're no good at what you do or if you you're not a good worker it's going to get around pretty quickly. So um, I think I was fortunate that um, I knew people who knew, um, say, Gil at the time and and other people that I ended up accepting jobs with down the track and it um, made it a lot easier for me to trust the people that I was going to work for and them to be able to um, trust employing me without us having any sort of history or barely an interview in many cases.
0: I guess the big challenge also for you was the fact that you were giving up a regular gig where you were working Monday to Friday to the chance that you were going to sort of be a bit of a floater in terms Ah. of um, working at at Triple M and and Today FM with Gil Taylor and the like.
1: Yeah, So um, while I accepted a full-time job, I was a floater and uh, I had several people on the Gold Coast tell me I was crazy. Uh, What are you doing? Why would you leave? Such a great job to go down to Sydney. And And I think some of them thought, oh, well, she'll learn, she'll be back here before she knows it. Um, but luckily that wasn't the case. I, I got down there and I loved it. I remember um, the first time going into the the studios at World Square and they were just so new and modern uh, compared to what I was used to. And I felt like, yeah, this is it. I'm not going anywhere.
0: So what did Gil teach you? Because he's uh, another really good operator and someone that, that knows the business back the front. So um, coming to a place where Sydney is a huge market, obviously, and then there was two different stations that you had to, to work on, but they're both very different in their styles.
1: Yeah, and look, fortunately before going to Sydney where I had been on the Gold Coast at CFM, it was a hub for a lot of stations there, including doing news for interstate. So I was used to um, doing news for different stations and demographics. But differences when I got to Sydney, I think getting out on the road, despite it being an FM station, um, Gil was very proactive in if um, we didn't have Anything on? If we had spare uh, journalists in the newsroom to get out there, go to court, go to the presses around town, and and some of them were a big deal. And I think for me, when I first came from the Gold Coast, it was a really uh, cool thing when the stories that you're at you are at are making national news, and that's something that I guess um, I wasn't exposed to as often on the Gold Coast. And then we had some, you know some wonderful um on air teams at the time and I was able to fill in uh when Jeff Field was away and and be doing shifts on Kyle and Jackie O's show and you know coming fresh from the Gold Coast that was pretty exciting stuff
0: yeah I can imagine I mean what is it about that particular radio station or those radio stations that had that appeal for you to to get in there and cut your teeth? Because you were still relatively quite young at that stage as well.
1: Yeah, I would've been about twenty five by that point. And um I think the level of professionalism once you you get to, to Sydney and not to say it's, you know, not professional anywhere else, but it's a competitive environment, Sydney Media, and that's something that I really loved. Um, Everyone monitoring each other and wanting to do better. You don't want another station to have a story that you don't have, and I really thrived on the competitive (laughs) nature that it is in uh, Sydney Media. I absolutely loved
0: it. Again, it would have taught you about writing for different stations and different demographics and and just tightening it up because some of those news bulletins on Triple M and Today FM were really tight, but you still have a lot of news to, to get out there to the world
1: yeah, and look, um I was always sort of taught you should be able to trim back your stories sort of sentence by sentence, and it's sh- you should t- it sh- should still make sense until you get down to that headline. That should even still tell you enough if you had to go boom, boom, boom with one line each. you should be able to inform your listeners. Um, I think timing out at, um, at today FM and triple M, that would have been the first time I would have had to time out live. That's a pretty scary thing when you do it for the first time and you have an ad break bashing over you because you've mucked it up. Um that's you know, that was another learning.
0: Then how did the move come to go across to the Australian Radio Network?
1: Another story where I didn't go seeking it particularly. Uh I got a call one day from Corinne McKay, who was the news director at the time, um, along with Glenn Daniel at ARN and um I don't think from memory, Corinne really used to listen to B105 very often, but her flatmate did, and she happened to hear me reading the news one afternoon and thought, oh, I think I should give her a call and offer her a job. And then she um, looked into my background uh, a little deeper and found out that I was from Queensland, and they were just about to launch uh, their Queensland New South Wales service out of uh, North Ryde where they would start doing a lot of the Brisbane news out of Sydney and so they were really looking for someone that had that Brisbane knowledge and she offered me a job doing breakfast 97.3 out of Sydney and then I would switch and do Sydney mornings so mix at the time and WS at 10, 11 and midday. Crazy so, shift. I don't know what I was thinking. I I think back and when you've got your head in Brisbane news for half of the morning and then you've got to switch and read for two Sydney bulletins and you're writing it all yourself too. It was pretty crazy. But I was at the time happy to go back um, to Monday to Friday because as a floater at Today FM and Triple M, I had been required to do a lot of weekends as well.
0: Talk to me about that whole adjustment period of operating or reading news from Sydney for Brisbane? Yeah,
1: look, fortunately, the Brisbane breakfast shift came pretty naturally to me. I already knew Brisbane. I could pronounce the suburbs. I mean, that's the biggest um, – that's a, that's a big problem when you've got people reading interstate news. Um, if they don't know the area and they mispronounce a suburb or a name, it's a dead giveaway that they're not – from Brisbane or, or wherever they're reading for. So, um, on that front, that was, um, that wasn't a problem for me, but it did require being on your game and you'd sort of get to about 8.30 and you'd really have to start thinking ahead to 10 o'clock Sydney time and start planning your bulletin. The WS bulletins are quite large, so you'd still be sort of writing your last Brisbane Bulletin while preparing your two Sydney ones for later that morning and starting to coordinate with the on-road reporters in Sydney. And look, when daylight saving kicked in, it made things even more confusing. (laughs) So it really was quite on um, I did still want to be doing those Sydney bulletins though because at the end of the day I didn't move to Sydney to read Brisbane news.
0: I guess the, the advantages of technology and the internet being the way it is and pay television and all of those things can make it a whole lot easier to read a state bulletin that you're not actually in.
1: Absolutely. Um, look, I don't think you need to be sitting in the city. Uh, where your news is being broadcast at all. Um, We can do it from anywhere these days. Um, Technology is fantastic. Uh, As long as you know your area, and if you don't, ask the questions because listeners aren't stupid. They can tell from a mile away um, when you get it wrong. Like I said, pronunciation is key. Uh, that's why if you get that right, I think, and if you sort of know the city, Brisbane, for example, isn't going to run the same stories that would necessarily be run in Sydney. It is a little more local. Uh, but... Once you get to know where you're broadcasting into, there is no reason you can't do it from anywhere.
0: I guess that's one of those things that if people don't know that you're not in that city, it doesn't matter, provided you're very accurate with the information that you're getting out every day.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. You have to be accurate. You need to know your audience and, and the town or city that you're reading into. Uh, look, the downfall is uh, while I'm I'm all for the... The option to read news from wherever and it, it works and I've worked in many newsrooms where that has been done. It does then mean that the career opportunities aren't necessarily there that once were so there are fewer people reading out of some of the smaller cities and those people that are coming through as young journalists uh, aren't going to get those job opportunities in somewhere like Brisbane. They're going to have to move to Sydney and then it's a lot harder to get in early on straight up in Sydney, particularly when you're not from there. So, while I'm very supportive of reading news from wherever, uh, I do think it it does make it difficult for young journos.
0: You mentioned Glenn and Corinne earlier on. What were they like for your career development?
1: Fantastic. They both... uh, had such a strong work ethic and respect for news. Um, They really took my writing to the next level. Um, There were things they would point out when I started working there that nobody had ever told me about before. I learned so much under the two of them and uh, Glenn and I worked together for years to come. I think all up, I was at ARN for about seven years and uh, a lot of that, was working on Breakfast with Glenn and not only has he my boss for a long time, he's become a very good friend. I have so much respect for him as a journalist, a news director and a person. He's just um, got a fantastic work ethic and um, any journalist that comes into contact with him walks away so much better for it.
0: I'm not sure about you, but for me, the great thing that, he's taught me over many, many years is just how to use an economy of words when writing a story. One of his great strengths, while he has this really great radio voice and he knows how to enunciate words and he's got the light and shade thing happening and everything like that, but the thing that I admire most is just the way he can write so succinctly.
1: He can. He's a brilliant writer and he is so calm under pressure. (laughs) You never see him crack. He's always so calm and so organized. He's one of those people that has no emails in his inbox. They're constantly cleared out. Whereas I look at mine and there's thousands that probably need to be dumped into the delete box.
0: <laughs> well, you think about that, how important that is in a, a shift like breakfast where you've got to be on top of things, you've got multiple stations mm. and multiple bulletins going, you know, you've got to be ready for a quarter hour updates. So organization in, in that sense is, is oh. very, very key, isn't it?
1: It's so important and you really can't just be thinking about the bulletin that you're about to read. You need to be thinking about the bulletins that you have ahead. You never know what's going to be thrown up in that half an hour between when you get back to your desk after reading. Uh, that bulletin you could be smashed with interviews coming through you could be called into the studio to do something with the on-air team you don't know and the worst thing is if all of a sudden now it's time to read your next bulletin and there is nothing there so you always need to be working ahead as much as possible.
0: You mentioned Glenn's temperament there before. Did you ever see him lose his shit in any way, shape or form? Because I certainly haven't seen it and I've known him for for 20-something years. So I'd be very interested to know whether you've actually seen him lose his cool at all.
1: Only once. Once. I think I pushed his buttons that many times trying to tell him that um, I should have a car park during breakfast because um, I was arguing about the fact that, well, if, you know... You'll pay for a cab in. Why won't you pay for a car park? And I think I'd asked that many times that he finally cracked. And because he's one of those people that doesn't get angry very often. So when he does, you just pipe down and you don't go there again. <laughs>
0: But those moments would have been very few and far between. But you think about, like, we're working in a really high-pressure environment and things happen and people say things and you get over things pretty quick. But for someone to keep such an even temperament throughout an entire career when you're managing different staff and different personalities, it's really something to be admired, isn't
1: it? Oh, it is. And also when you're running on no sleep too. I mean, when I used to work breakfast with Glenn, I would get in at four He'd be in at two a lot of the time, at least by three. He was always the first to in. He'd run on very little sleep, and he'd be listening to all of your bulletins during the day. He was so on it. So, um, and you know, sleep deprivation does crazy things to us all, and it never appeared to impact him or and his demeanour.
0: Now, what about working on breakfast for Mix 106.5? After making the journey to Sydney, you must have felt that that was the goal and you managed to achieve that, which was, um, must have been really rewarding for you.
1: It was. It was, uh, it was a great thing to, to get full time, uh, Sydney breakfast in radio. That's the shift that many of us aim for. Um, there were a lot of breakfast shows that, um, came and, and went over the years that I was, um, At Mix, but um, for a period while I was on breakfast there, was when it was Sonia Kruger and Todd McKenney. They were reading Brecky. And um, look, whoever it was, I had such a brilliant time. And you'd work very closely with the WS team as well, with Jonesy and Amanda, and just such a a, a great bunch of people.
0: The thing about, I guess, the the testament to to Glenn's leadership was that over quite a, a number of years, there wasn't a whole lot of staff turnover, which is pretty rare for for radio stations these days.
1: No, there wasn't much of a turnover at all. and um, And he always hired good people. He was never going to hire, you could be the best newsreader in town, but if you weren't a good person you there wasn't a chance you were going to get into the newsroom he he selected um some great people on character um as well as talent of course and it just resulted in a fantastic team and a team that really enjoyed uh, spending time together and you know a, a lot of people in the media will have stories that are very different to that um it wasn't a competitive environment where people were out there to to take the next one out. Everyone was very supportive of each other and I don't think Glenn would have had it any other way.
0: No, he certainly wouldn't. And the one thing that he got back from the staff was respect because you knew if you'd asked for a pay rise he'd go in to, to bat for you and you, you knew if even if you didn't get it, you know he would have tried his damn hardest with the, the management that was in place at the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You knew he always had your back and there was um, such a high level of trust there as well. Um, yeah, he was a great leader and I know now he's very much um, enjoying his position uh, at Smooth, which isn't running a newsroom, but – Boy, he was just such a good uh, news director and um, I just, one of the best.
0: The breakfast hours we sort of mentioned earlier on sort of took their toll on you and you had to eventually sort of move to the afternoons because 10 years doing breakfast, it just became all too much. And I guess that's a a bit of a familiar story with people because it's like that permanent feeling of jet lag every day.
1: Yeah, it's a different tired. It's a tired that um, it's not the same as just having one bad night's sleep. It's this, uh, I can't even describe it. It's quite horrible. And then if you have a sleep in the afternoon, you wake up feeling all groggy and, and almost worse for it as well. Um, I did really struggle with the hours. I struggled to have a life outside of work when you're trying to then be normal with people on the weekends and stay up late if you want to, and particularly, you know, when I was still young trying to go out with friends on the weekend, um, it was hard, and it resulted in me having some pretty serious uh, sleeping problems. The number of times I would lie awake all night having zero sleep and then going into work Um and you're not only having to do your job, you have to be able to, to read the news and, and <laughs> articulate <laughs> um, and you're running on absolute empty and it was just so bad for my health. And I, um, I really started, you know, a couple of years later down the track when I eventually left radio, um, it was taking away from my love for the job and I didn't want it to um, destroy all the good stuff that I'd had and the great memories I had. It really was a a big problem for me.
0: Because that's the thing, right? I mean, people don't necessarily understand that you really have to love it to do that on a daily basis. I mean, you don't just turn up at one minute to six and start reading the news and sounding all, you know, bright and airy-fairy on the on the radio. It's a case of the fact that you do have to get in early and you do have to prepare because otherwise the stuff that comes out of the radio is not going to sound very good.
1: Yeah, and look, I absolutely did love it. And that's why I pushed through the sleep deprivation and the impacts on my health and probably sanity at times, um, over the years, was because I loved it. Um, and in the end, in a way, that's why I, I walked away it was because I did love it so much and I could see that I was actually getting to resent it a little bit because I did have these severe sleeping problems and um, and it, it wasn't good at all.
0: I bet you don't have much trouble sleeping these days. <laughs>
1: Once every now and again, it still gets me. I wonder if I'll ever be the same again. Um, it's a reminder of my years in radio, but no, I'm so much better now, so much better than um, great relief in not having to get up at 3 a.m. I remember I used to think, how good it would be to, you know, I don't know, bakers and people that they might only get up at 4am. Imagine what it would be like to get up at 5am. You'd be so tired that you would just wish for one hour of more sleep.
0: Did that then sort of lead to what most of us had who've done breakfast shifts those horrible, horrible dreams about not being able to type or getting into the the auto queue and not being able to turn the microphone. Did you have weird dreams at all?
1: Yeah, I did have I did have dreams where the the prompter would die on me. And look, that was probably because it happened in real life as well, <laughs> so I knew the possibility of that happening. But yeah, you never switch off. Um, one good thing about the job is there isn't a lot of I guess when you clock off, there isn't a lot of work that you physically take home with you. Um, It's not like you're going home and writing a report for a meeting the next morning or anything like that. But you're just so wired and your mind is constantly going that I think um, that's why you just don't turn off and that's why you end up having work dreams.
0: People sort of bemoan the fact that journalists get six weeks of of holiday a year, but gee whiz, you'd need it, don't you?
1: And how about working on Christmas Day and and the holidays that journalists work when other people are at home with their family and friends? Um, Look, um, it's well-deserved to have the six weeks off and it's not coming for free, the work's being put in.
0: Now we mentioned health a little bit earlier on. I mean, that was the sort of catalyst for you to take over a um a leadership role in the, the ARN newsroom when Glenn was, was taken ill and, and subsequently didn't return because of a, a heart condition. What was that like to to step into a, a leadership role when you're running a number of radio stations out of the one network?
1: Yeah, it ended up being five. Um it was look I learned from the best. Um and Glenn, being Glenn, even when he didn't come back, was always there for me if I had any question at all. So I was very fortunate on that front. But um, yeah, look, five looking after news for five radio stations in two cities, while also carrying out a seven and a half hour on air on air shift myself, was pretty busy. You know. Um, all the things that that come with monitoring your staff bulletins and rostering and, and all of that has to be done outside of your daily on air shift. I loved it um, but, um, but there was it was a lot and I remember there were times where you would wake up in the morning and you'd always know that staff had been in there for hours. Um, they'd been in there since three. So you kind of always felt a little bit behind, like you were playing catch up to find out how they were going. Uh, what have they been running this morning? You can never keep across everything that's airing on five bulletins at once, despite how hard I tried and nearly drove myself insane in the process, but you can't. And, um, and that was a, a tricky thing to juggle and just then to, to trust in the staff that you have and, um, and know that, um, you can only check in on certain bulletins.
0: What did you learn about your, yourself in that regard, taking on a, a leadership role? Because not everybody necessarily has the, the qualities to lead, so that must have been personally rewarding from your point of view to develop that particular area.
1: It was, and like I said, a lot of it I learned from Glenn, and a lot of it helped me in my current job now. And, um and one of the big learnings I had was just um the people time, the people management. You can be a great operator, but if you can't communicate well with your staff, if you um, can't manage people and and be there for them and make them feel like we were saying with Glenn he had their back and he was there anytime that you needed someone to listen. That feeling goes a long way, and it leads to loyalty and hard work and and I think giving people feedback, you know good or bad, they want to know they want to grow and, and just giving them time.:
0: I guess you were quite fortunate in the fact that I sort of won't say this in a demeaning fashion, but the the people that you were working with at the time had relatively stable personality, so um, that would have made the job <laughs> a whole lot easier. <laughs>
1: I did have a I did have a good team, so I <laughs> didn't have any crazies to deal with, so it was good. Make things a lot easier. But look, we all um at um one time or another I've had people over the years who are harder to manage than others. Um but fortunately for me, um they're they're few and far between. There haven't been too many of them.
0: I guess in that sense also, though, it must have been difficult coming through the ranks and being friends with people. As you mentioned, it was quite a a social environment. So to go from being people's friends to being their boss, did you encounter any sort of hurdles along the way in in that regard and having to be firm when you needed to be firm and then friends when you needed to be friends, if that makes any sense?
1: Yeah, look, for the most part, it was fine and it wasn't an issue. But I think I'm definitely a lot better at that now than I was back then. I think I was still learning as a manager back then and it is a hard thing at first to juggle a friendship and um, and managing staff. I think there were a couple of times where I'm sure Cass and I pushed each other's buttons in ways um, that you wouldn't speak to a staff member or you wouldn't speak to a manager because we were friends and because we have um the strong personalities that we do but uh look it was never a big problem at all and like we said it was just a great bunch of people who were really talented journalists
0: you mentioned there that the sort of the fun was leaving it for you and you didn't want to have a a bad reflection on radio so is that the the core reason as to why you decided to to move on and move back to queensland
1: Look, I had wanted to move back with um with family and friends, but it did come at a time where I was still struggling a lot um with my sleep despite moving on to drive, um, even on weekends. you'd sort of you know get the calls from the casuals when they they can't come in and you get the call at midnight, and then I'd be the one to go in on a weekend. and I couldn't ever completely relax knowing the phone was about to ring, and it got to. A point where it wasn't getting better and I didn't want to hate this job that I had loved so much for so many years and um, it was really scary to walk away. I um, wasn't confident in my decision right up until the end. I now think it was the best time to leave and I'm very fortunate in the great job I have now and everything has worked out fantastically, but it was really, really scary because I did love radio. It was like going through a breakup. When I left, I was so obsessed and confused as to whether I was making the right decision.
0: Now, I often refer to you as the ageless beauty. Why is it that you never made the, the move to TV? Because that was something that was on your radar early on in your career and you never quite made it there.
1: I think I lacked confidence that I was going to be able to succeed. I think that I always felt like, oh, I've left it too late. Now there are younger people coming through, and now I look back and I think, geez, I wasn't that old then when I was thinking that. <laughs> now maybe um, I look. In some ways, I w- I wish I'd given it a go, um, but I had a great career in radio, and I'm so um, happy in my current job and excited about the challenges that lie ahead. In it, that it all has worked out really well. Um, I just just never felt right and I just didn't ever take that leap.
0: When well, you think about the fact that there is a lot of young, good-looking girls that that come through and, and want to be TV reporters, and they're willing to make that commitment of, of what TV producers do, which is quite extraordinary, and in some cases, they start at, at, at midnight. So given your mm. challenges with sleep, I guess that would have been something yeah. that you would have had to have started again from the bottom, which meant like earlier starts than what you were even used to before sort of making it across it and making it on screen, which seems to happen in a, in a lot of cases these days.
1: Yeah, that's right. And so you should be willing to do whatever it takes to, to, um, to prove yourself and get the position. Um, and, you know, and perhaps those crazy hours wouldn't have um, suited me anyhow. Uh I never had a strong desire to leave radio until I did, um, which is probably why I never threw my hat in the ring for TV during that time. I did love my whole time there and um, I was never going to leave until I knew it felt really right like I said, I, ne- I never knew 100%. I still had questions as I was talking out the door, but I was mostly there and I, I knew it was time to leave.
0: Now, tell me about your, your current role and what you enjoy most about what you do at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's really exciting. So, like I said, I, I head up external communications. I have um, six media advisors who write media releases, who monitor uh, social media for the organization. I have two video producers. Uh, I act as a corporate spokesperson in the media so most days I'm doing radio TV print interviews on top of all the of the meetings and everything else that comes along with the job uh, we have a roadside organisation so much like NRMA in Sydney we also have an insurance company and we're about to merge with a bank so it's really exciting i would you know have never have thought that this is where i would end up but uh, I absolutely love it. And um, it's always changing the challenges ahead. Uh, who knows what's going to be thrown my way?
0: I guess when people talk about moving to the dark side and they refer to, to PR, it's a little different in terms of what you do because you're not necessarily trying to sell something. You might mm. be trying to sell a, a message, but ultimately you're going to be in demand all of the time rather than trying to be one of these PR people mm. that is trying to get a story across the line.
1: Yeah, and that's why this job suits me so well because I feel like uh, most of what we're putting out is newsworthy and you're not having to do the big sell. A lot of what we do is advocacy and it is uh, lobbying politicians on the behalf of uh, of motorists, and you're not having to to push a, a product or service. Not to say we don't. We do have an insurance company. We do have you know uh, lifestyle, travel, all of these other parts of the business that do require that PR element, um, which I like as well. But um, you're right. Most of what we do is incredibly newsworthy, and I'm very fortunate and It suits me so well because uh, myself and my team, which is mostly former journalists, know how to to write for news and to to write a media release that is going to get in the news.
0: So obviously you found those skills were very uh, translatable to to what you do now. Was it difficult initially to be that person on the the other end of the phone or or, or the one being interviewed uh, over a certain subject?
1: I think being interviewed was the scariest thing at first and you know what you don't no, in a way, and you're sort of always waiting for the journalist to catch you out and ask you something that you have no idea about when you're up there for the first time, and you only know a little bit of about the subject. And what we cover is so broad at RACQ, and um, you know you could be being interviewed on fuel prices, and the next moment you'll be asked for claim numbers on a hailstorm. Um, and when you first start, that's pretty scary, and you don't want to look silly, um, but you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a challenge in itself to master being able to, to handle those situations. And now I really enjoy it.
0: You know, like you said, you, you're managing staff that are like minded people that uh, know what job they have to do. So um, I would imagine looking after that would make you a little bit more satisfied and comfortable in the role that you have to perform as well.
1: Uh, I have, I'm going to say it, I have the best media team in Queensland. They are amazing. Um, I could not ask for a better team. Um, we produce such high quality content. They are so hungry. Um, they're amazing. Couldn't ask for a better
0: team. Do you ever find yourself looking at at TV news or listening to radio news bulletins and and catching the money grab or like sort of um, viewing it from from that point of view from your old journalistic days?
1: Absolutely. If I'm listening to a media conference um on sky news for example i automatically hear the grabs that i would cut if i was sitting in a newsroom i'd be like yep there's my intro there's my grab there's that i write the story straight away um i'm still friends with a lot of journos i still have a lot of fun um talking about news and stories and um i think i'll somewhat always be a part of that world even though i'm no longer working in a newsroom
0: i guess also you know how to speak in grabs
1: <laughs> yes i remember when i first started um on this side of things and someone telling me oh don't speak in grabs that's the last thing they want they want you to keep going on and on so that they can pick what they want I'm like mm, i don't think so um yeah i can um I can hopefully uh, most of the time speak in, in grabs and give the journos what they want.
0: I think the the advent of social media has also sort of opened it up not only for for journalists but also for people in in roles like yourself where you're able to to use it to to benefit the the cause or the 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 thing that you're looking to to, to push out as well. How have you found that? I guess first of all when it first came in into radio when you were, you were working there, but also now with the technology, how it's ever evolving and it's becoming easier to put together video packages and and supply audio grabs for the media
1: yeah well i'm speaking about giving audio grabs we have a policy where every single one of our media releases goes out with um with a video interview and we ask the questions that may not be so nice for us because we know at the end of the day if the journos aren't happy with the grabs we're supplying they're going to call up and they're not going to want to use them so we want them to use them we'll ask the tough questions we leave all of the questions in and um and an interview goes out with every media release, and that's used by radios and particularly regional TV who don't have access to us based in Brisbane. so that's um that's a sign of technology. We've just um, set up a live camera on our floor um, of our building, so we'll be able to broadcast live into. Local and national news bulletins from our office floor—something uh, that we've never done before. Um, social media, even when I left radio, Twitter—it was a—it's a second AAP feed, really, for journalists. They're on it all the time. Um, it's such a, a core part of, a, of of a day for a journo to be on Twitter to find out what's happening.
0: I guess also it assists shrinking media. Um, organizations as well knowing full well that the, the journalists there aren't as many as the them as what they they used to be so catering to their needs is also obviously going to be very beneficial in the long run
1: well that's right i mean um like i was saying about how we include grabs or interviews with our media releases if you don't do it right it's seen as pushing a message and um and you're just trying to, um, I guess, uh, tailor it so much that you don't want to be caught out. If you do it right, you're helping journalists. I mean, they're busy. They're, there are stations where there's one person doing multiple bulletins. When they've got the interview sitting there, they can get to it when they're ready, um, even if that's after their shift finishes. Um I think we really have to think about the shrinking newsrooms and how we're still going to be able to deliver news to these journalists who are so under the pump and under-resourced.
0: Having always sort of coveted a career in, in media and, and worked in it for a long time, do you find it sad that the fact that there are no longer as many jobs out there for, for journalists or the journalists that are employed are now expected to do a whole lot more?
1: Uh, it, I do. I do find it sad. Um Like we spoke about, my first job at at 4KQ, that wouldn't have been as easy. Not to say it was easy. I had to do a lot of free work before I was good enough to go on air. I don't think I would have had that opportunity if it were today. Uh, I think it's harder than ever for young journos to get a start, particularly if you're outside of the likes of uh, Sydney and Melbourne where – It really is the hub of news for Australia. It's really, really tough, I think. Um, They have to work harder than ever to get their foot in the door.
0: Having said all of that, and we'll wrap things up in a sec, you've been very generous with your time. What would you say to any young person that's looking to to break into the media these days, given the fact that we've spoken about the fact that there aren't as many jobs these days?
1: To be as multi-skilled as possible. I I don't think you can afford to be a one-trick pony anymore. Uh, You can't concentrate on just one area of journalism anymore. Go in with as many skills as possible. Learn about social media. Go and spend time with agencies if you need to do work experience in agencies and learn how social media really works in a professional sense. Just because you've got a your own personal Facebook page doesn't mean that you're going to be able to operate it for an organization. Um, learn how to write for digital as well as writing for print and for broadcast. It's all very different um, writing feature stories just as much as possible.
0: Renee Smith, thanks very much for your time.
1: Thanks, Ralph.
0: There she is, Renee Smith, Head of External Communications for RACQ. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Renee, please let her know by sending her a tweet. She's at Renee D. Smith. I'm not sure what the D stands for. Maybe it's Denise. Doris? I don't know what it is. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, leave a rating or review. That way, more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the MediaMates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast.